Welcome, everyone. This is Molly Rowan Leach, and I'm your host uh, on behalf of NACRJ and Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth, sitting here at overlooking the Grand Ballroom here at the 6th National Restorative Justice Conference. And it's my honor, really, truly, in the deepest heart sense of the word, to be here right now with Rangi Marie Neda Glavish. She is a Maori elder, and uh, I'm just very grateful that you would sit with us for a bit here today. Maybe we can start with a blessing. Kia ora. E te kaihanga e te wahi ngoro e o kutupuna, e inui atu ana rā kia homaingia e o koutou manaakitanga ki runga kia hau i roto i tēnei kōrero, ka hakaputangia ke eau, ko au e inui atu ana rā, i runga i tō koutou i ngoa kia tapu, kia tapu, kia tapu rawa, kia haumie, kia hui e taeki e. Thank you. Would you like to share a few words about that blessing? Kia ora, kia ora. Um, I simply ask Creator and my ancestors uh, for support uh, in this interview to ensure that um, I stay true and loyal to them in, um, in everything that I say and do. Um, I guess in terms of this conference. I've been involved in what's called restorative justice today, um, known to me as Hoho Iterongo, which is restorative reconciliation of your wellness. Um, and I was raised by a grandmother. And so in my culture, hōhō i te wellness to you. Um, whenever anything was done uh, that offended anybody, it could be a spiritual offence, it could have been a physical offence, it could be a psychological offence, but whenever any form of offence happened. It could be an offence against um, nature. It could be an offence against the environment. It could be an offence against just going out to the sea to gather shellfish without permission first of Tangaroa, um, the sea god or going into the bush without seeking permission first from Tane Mahuta, who's the god of the forest. It could be an offence against Rongo, the god of um, agriculture and healing and um, everything we did, we sought permission. Um, so, hōhoi te rongo, is not a new thing culturally. Hoho Iterongo is a reconciliation and restoration of one's well-being if and when an offence 
uh, has happened. And so restorative justice actually had its genesis in New Zealand from our ancient cultural practices. Hohoi Te Rongo was taken into a courtroom and it was taken into a courtroom by two brothers. Two brothers who ended up in an altercation and one brother hit the other. And unfortunately, there was public present who reported it to the police and then it was out of the hands of the two brothers and it ended up in court. And we attended the court and spoke directly to the judge and asked the judge that it be taken home, that this will be settled at home. Um, but because it was before the court, it had to have a court sign-off. And the court was very interested um, her name was Judge Coral Shaw in a place called Henderson, which is West Auckland. So restorative justice began its genesis there in the courts in Henderson. With that, the case was settled. Um, the two brothers were actually sorry about the fact that it got that far. And then we had a Māori judge, Mick Brown, and um, who also picked up restorative justice when he was in his court. And with that, um, restorative justice is not new in terms of um, from the courts, we began a committee called Te Oritenga. Now, Te Oritenga um, was a, a new thing happening in New Zealand with regards to restorative justice. The judges were just coming on board um, with that, and um, it was a pioneering for restorative justice, and I was part of that pioneering. And can you place the context in as far as the year, the the time period? Mm. It would be ten years ago. Okay. Around ten years mm -hmm. ago. Um, yeah, actually, it would be about ten years ago, and in that pioneering process. Um, we had cases referred to us from the courts. And we had to be extremely careful in setting up a restorative justice meeting um, to ensure that the victim and the victim's families were in support, on support, and that the offender also needed to agree. And so it was a victim, offender, and their families that would come together. Then did we the, changed... Did the offender have to admit accountability up front? Yes. Okay. Yes. The, the offender had to plead guilty. Okay. And then we had to um, bring the 
bring the case together. The thing was, um, we had many cases, um, and they, and they were, they were actually good for both. But we changed the name from victim to person harmed. No one wanted to be a victim. Um, so it was an offender and person harmed. And then, of course, the lawyers got involved. And when the lawyers got involved, it became full-scale restorative justice. And it's operating now as restorative justice. For both adults and for youth? Yes, it is for both adults and youth. With the youth, um, we have a thing called the rangatahi court. Rangatahi is the Māori term for youth. And those courts are being held on the marae in Māori setting. And this is a special building? Our marae, we have 70 plus tribes in New Zealand. And there are several meeting houses mm -hmm. per tribe. Okay. And there are also urban meeting houses for tribes that are living outside of their tribal areas. And we have 14 rangatahi courts in New Zealand, geographically, across New Zealand. And we are looking to establishing more because when it's on a marae, um, grandparents come, it's familiar surroundings to the whole family. And the offender needs to speak directly to the court, the judge, um, with grandfathers and grandmothers and the, the brothers and the sisters and everyone is sitting in and, the court. And um, is the process of entry into the hall, um, into the space, um, can you sh describe the detail of that? Well, the detail of it is that we are called into the space. The offender family, the everybody's called in. You can. The people of the meeting house would give a special call that's called a karanga, and they would call the judge and everyone, the offenders, family, um, the onto the onto the marae, the meeting house, the space. And then the judge takes his place and everyone is welcomed appropriately by the elders of the marae, of the space, and responses given from the families. And then the court sits. Um, it has court secretaries, it has all court staff in there, as well as everybody else. But for family group, for the courts, rangatahi court, only the offender and the offender's family are in there. It's not an open court. It's a closed court just for uh, the families of the offender. The first thing the offender must do 
in these rangatahi courts is stand up and recite to the judge who he is, who his parents are, what the name is of his mountain, of his river, of his canoe, of the things, uh, his marae, and his ancestry, and his tribe, before he can start any discussion. Now, that is a beautiful thing in terms of them knowing themselves, who they are. Once they know who they are, then they will know the person that they have offended also has what they have, and they've offended against all of that. Not just to the person, but they've offended against the mountain, the river, the tribe. And so all that happens in a rangatahi court. And um, at the end of the day, there's a panel of elders, and each elder is invited to give an opinion of how one can support the offender and the offender's family. Usually, depending on the severity of the case, the offender is returned back to his family's or her family and um, some restrictions are placed, like um, curfews and things like that, of which the family will give their word to the court that they will ensure this young person will abide by those curfew and those rules of the plan. And so, is this a written agreement? Um, um, is this something that is written down? And it is written down by court staff uh-huh. and probation officers, youth youth justice officers, are assigned to support the family and do all the court work and the paperwork and and all of that, yeah. And what happens if someone is unable to fulfill what they They agreed to do? If they breach, they go back to court and then they're put in residence. So they're given an opportunity. Um, But if they breach, then that opportunity is not there anymore and they go into residential, youth residential until their next court hearing. And um, Does it work similarly with, with the adults? Um, no. No, no, very different. It's not, okay. it's not in the adult courts yet. Okay. No, it's not. Um, there are some restorative justice for adults that's different from the rangatahi. The, the rangatahi courts, the youth courts, um, is, is only for the youth, and it's run in a pati- that this particular way. The adult courts are a bit different. Um, they plead guilty in the adult courts as well. And in terms of uh, um, putting together a restorative plan, um, it's given to um, contractors, people are contracted, to providers to um, work with the courts in ensuring that a plan is in place. And um, yeah, it's worked It's worked brilliantly, really. And it was implemented in, officially in 
2014, is that true? I believe Judge Andrew Bicroft, whom I got well, the Well, the pleasure. Rangatahi Courts here in 2014. For, for uh, but, adults specifically. But the adults know that. No. That's about to, it, it, easy 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and at the moment, while I'm working with um, restorative justice, I apply it not only in, in the courts, I apply hohoi te rongo um, as, I, as I fully embrace in the health sector as well, not mm-hmm. just in, in, mm-hmm. in the courts. Mm-hmm. In the health sector, for instance, um, if a woman's had a, um, a limb removed, and has requested that that limb be returned so she could take it back to her family cemetery, and the limb is lost somewhere, then there's a hohorong mm. process. And uh, um, yeah, so it applies also to health sector, mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. not just to uh, the courts. And and it applies as a way of seeing. And being, it's, is that true? It, it applies as a way of, um, in the health sector, um, complaints are viewed as the agent for change. Mm-hmm. And so we encourage complaints. Mm-hmm. And we follow complaints right through. Mm-hmm. And that's about um, addressing the wellness in every level not only the physical where they needed to have the limb removed, not, uh, but also the psychological and spiritual wellness, which is inclusive of the patient and all their family. I was just going to ask you about that, actually, um, around the Maori perspective of mental health as well as addiction. What, what is yes. the perspective on that? It, it impacts justice in a very deep yes, way. Yes, it does. It does. And um, um, in terms of working with justice, health working with justice, we have a forensic service in health for prisoners who have been diagnosed as having a mental unwellness in the prison. And so they are referred to the health sector. And um, and actually there's quite a lot, head injuries, addictions, um, yeah. And often um, the crimes that they commit is because they're under the influence, serious under the influence. Mm-hmm. Um, so they come into the health sector from, from the prisons. Um, the health sector and, and the prisons work very closely together um, in in a lot in a lot of like rest, for restorative justice. Um, for instance, um, the health sector works with coroners as well as um, mortuary technicians with pathologists um, and police, and so in terms of um, ensuring a smooth pathway for Māori, if someone dies in a hospital or in an institute, um, there's a possibility that 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 deceased would require a post-mortem, 
Now, Māori are absolutely opposed to post-mortems. Um, and legally, they have to have a post-mortem. And so there's a process of hōhoi te rongo um, with the family, with the coroners, with the pathologists, with the police. And we work through a process to ensure um, what legal requirements are required does happen while we actually give quality information to the families so that the family are able to cope with the grief as well as the stress. Mm -hmm. For Māori, the tangihanga, which is the wake from, from, the de from having a deceased, begins at the time of death, not at the time that the coroner signs off or the duty manager of a hospital signs off or police get their reports together. It begins at the time. Of death and so a process has to happen immediately to ensure the return back to the families of that deceased person. So uh, restorative justice for us doesn't only happen in the courtrooms, it happens in hospitals, it happens in families. Would you say it's a spiritual perspective of uh, from the Maori lens? Oh, absolutely. Uh, that, and uh, could uh, we go into that more deeply? A lot of a lot of um, the stuff, the things that are happening to Māori, um, is from past trauma, and um, from past trauma when 1840 the treaty was signed, and it was only two years after the signing of the treaty that Māori became a minority in our own country, and from that um, minority in our own country. Um, the trauma, there were tribal wars, um, there were wars against the settler government, and, and so we went through a process, really, of dealing with what was being said being different from what was actually happening. So the treaty said this, but what was actually happening was not what was agreed to um, in the treaty. And so um, there was absolute resistance to um, the treaty, absolute resistance for 100 years, 100 plus years. There's still some resistance now. Um, and the trauma from that hasn't been fully compensated mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and and so as a result of that um, we did have a prophet who told us in 1835 treaties could only be signed between two nations and so in 1835 the tribes were declared nations within their own rights and so the nation of England actually signed a treaty with the tribes and the, the treaty had to travel the country for tribes to sign and um, some tribes did not sign but the treaty traveled and at that time um, the treaty spoke about three 
the right to govern their own people that was in the country at the time. There were whalers and sealers there at the time. So um, at the time of, in 1835, before the treaty was signed, the prophet said to, did made a statement and said, there is a demon on its way. It is a demon that will arrive with teeth of silver and gold and an insatiable diet for land. That demon was colonization. Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. happened in 1840, mm -hmm. two years after the signing of the treaty. So the prophecies had already um, come to bear. And so after the signing of the treaty, of course, religion entered as well. And so the next part of that prophecy was, fear not the teeth of silver and gold. Just do not allow it to become your God. Because money was being exchanged for land. Um, 10 shillings or, or in, the, in that time. And the Māori concept of land, you cannot, we don't own the land, it's our mother. And so if you need land, you can have that bit over there for as long as you need it. And when you no longer need it, then it comes back. But and it there's didn't a happen. there's a right way to be with the land. Yes. Yeah. Is there a word for that? Is there Yeah, there is there's a tick on the the right way yeah. of being yeah. and of treating creation, correct? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and tell us that word again, please. Tikanga, tikanga are the are the the, um, the rights R I G H T and the R I T E S, and it's a principle. It's a principle of honouring, and um, that principle of honouring um, applied to everything really. It applied to the sea. It applied to the forest. It applied to the land. It, and the um, Prophecy after that, of course, was you have fear not the silver and gold. Just do not allow it to become your God. And we often remind of that now. Even now. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and yeah. How, how do you see that affecting uh, oh, the affect, system? Absolutely affected. Absolutely. And do the Maori people still feel a deep sense of marginalization yeah. and gentrification within the justice system? Absolutely. And that's a continuous... Absolutely now. Mm -hmm. And so we are in court at the moment fighting for our rights to the water. And we are in courts at the moment. Um, a, a Maori land court was established. And the purpose of the establishing of a Maori land court was to actually um, support the uh, the crown to alienate more land, and so in terms of that, um, we are now going through a process of um, reviewing the Māori Land Court. We are reviewing everything. Uh, we've lodged Waitangi tribunal claims against the Crown. Um, and compensation is coming back slowly. I mean, one tribe re re 
received 170 million for the loss of land and for the wars that happened and the loss of um, one tribe, for instance, in 18, uh, sorry, in 1942, when there was an expectation to go and fight the Second World War, they refused and land was taken off them for it. So there's a whole, we, the history um, is not good in terms of, and it's no different from any other um, culture I've been hearing at this week today. Uh, it, this is the only conference I've ever been to where I've cried for, from several speakers because there's a cultural intelligence that exists in this meeting. That cultural intelligence is that what the Indians are saying and what the black people are saying um, and what Latinos are saying, we feel it, we know it. There's, there's a synergy of knowing. And um, the same thing, of course, is in New Zealand. Any country that's been colonized will have the same. The stories are the same. Uh, we're only 17% of the total population in the country, but we have 58% in the prisons of Māori. And that's the same with any other country, the high over-representation in the justice system, in the prisons um, of indigenous people. Um, in terms of, we had to fight for our language. We do have our language, uh, but we had to fight for our language. We had to develop language-ness. And um, those language-ness from the naught to five, then we developed the five to secondary school, kura kaupapa, to co continue the language, the reo. And then into the secondary schools, we developed in there as well, so that the language would go right through. And we have several young mm -hmm. speakers of our language today. What, what you just shared about this meeting, this conference here in Oakland, um, the, the cultural, intercultural intelligence intelligence and the distinct uh, collective pattern of wisdom mm -hmm. we're sitting here in the uhuru room which yeah. it means freedom and yesterday a young black woman said something very poignant about what justice meant to her she said something to the effect of and i wish i could quote her name to honor her um she said, to me, justice is uhuru, freedom. And I'm wondering, given the oppressed, the consistent oppression from greed and capitalism, and devious. you know, de it's devious, devious, it's not human, deceitful. it's deceitful, yep. it's not honoring of anything, um, how do we go from here? Because there are so many of us here who in some form or another have been deeply oppressed or have someone we love who has been deeply oppressed. Yeah. 
mm. kept from their traditions, yeah. kept from their cultural expression and rights, yeah. and so on and so forth. How can we turn that around? How can we go from here in a direction that redirects humanity in a, in, in a way of honoring creation, in the way of honoring each other and our freedoms? And our, and our true sense of freedom, both spiritually as well as culturally and otherwise. I think, personally, from what I've heard from this conference, is that the indigenous need to revitalize the indigenous practices amongst the indigenous. I mean, colonization's done a good job. It's pit brother against brother, sister against sister, using the almighty dollar. And we need to go back to our values of, of honoring each other um, internally. And in that strength, we can say no. Like in back home, we can go back to our gardens, we can go back to our um, living off the sea, living off the land. We can do that um, with the lands that we have left. What the Crown have done, of course, is confiscated Crown land. They've created this thing called Department of Conservation so that they can um, so that they can do what Crown wants to do with the land. I really believe that the indigenous internationally, and I've heard it through this conference, um, all speak of the ancient ones. However, there isn't a collective living of the ancient ones. There's a talk of the ancients, there's a knowledge that the ancients can be called in, but there is not a practice that uh, this is the way of the ancients, including myself, who was raised by a grandmother. Um, in the work that I do in two district health boards, um, and I work also with police right across the country, I work um, very closely with health boards across the country uh, and I'm one of the chairpersons of the 70 tribes there's only two women chairpersons of the 70 tribes I'm one of them and we work very closely together collectively on uh, health issues we challenge the government on housing issues we challenge the government on poverty issues, we challenge the government. Education issues, we challenge the government. And we're doing that right now. And um, we've just come to a point of collective, collective, tribal um, agreement in terms of our challenge to the Crown. And the Crown are actually listening. I've gone well over my time. Um, thank you so much. May I ask one more question? Yes, yes. And then we'll just maybe do a closing okay. blessing. Yep. I'm just wondering, 
What justice means to you? Well, justice to me would be that um, that my children have jobs, that there's employment, so that they can look after my grandchildren. I'm a mother of five, three daughters, two sons. I'm the grandmother of 19 grandchildren. I have 13 grandsons and six granddaughters. And from those grandchildren, I'm the great-grandmother of 27 great-grandchildren, 14 great-grandsons and 13 great-granddaughters. And so freedom to me is that they have the ability to exist happily and enjoy life um, because they have employment, because they have good health. And, um, and I've said to my children and my grandchildren, it doesn't bother me if you're not rich. It doesn't bother me if you don't go to university and get degrees. All I want is that you be good people, that you help be good people. That would be freedom to have the ability to be a good person and not have to fight off the, the crown on anything. You know, that's my job to do that. <laughs> let, them, mm -hmm. let them live their, their young lives and be happy with each other, raising their children um, with their values and with the values that's been handed down to them from my grandmother to me, to them. Yeah. If people want to connect with you, how yeah. might they do that? Um, I work for Auckland District Health Board um, and Waitamata District Health Board and, um, um, sure what, do you want a phone number? Uh, an email, perhaps, if you're willing, or okay, we fine. can direct people as well to you. Okay, so, so my um, email address is waitemata, which is w-a-i-t-e-m-a-t-a-d-h-b dot g-o-v-t dot n-z. So in the front of that, sorry, I should have started as NADA, N-A-I-D-A dot glavish, G-L-A-V-I-S-H at Waitemata D-H-B dot G-O-V-T dot N-Z. It's a long email, <laughs> I know, um, but that's, that's the email. And my cell phone um, is 64, which is the New Zealand, uh, 0064, which is the New Zealand code. Um, 021-722-086. Do you have hope for the future? Yes, I do. I do have hope for the future. And I have hope because um, I gather my, f my whole family uh, at least once every two months and we sit in circle and, um, and share, we share each other's whatever's happening in each other's lives. Um, I, I need to know they're safe and I need to know um, how they're doing at school. I need to know if they need my help anywhere and, and, and each other um, can help the other. 
at anywhere. I mean, one grandson said, oh, Mama, I've got this huge tree in my backyard and I don't know what to do with it. And the other grandson said, well, I've got a chainsaw. I'll come up and cut that tree for you. We'll trim it and make sure we do all the things with it. But the circle is what we share and then the help comes to each other through that. Mm. So, um, yeah, circles happen over the other side of the world as well in New Zealand. <laughs> and have for a long time. Yeah. Hundreds and yeah. hundreds and yes. hundreds yes. of years. Yes, it has. It has. Rangi Marie, thank you so much for spending some time with us. It's been really my honor and pleasure. There's so much to cover, so many more things that we could talk about. Maybe sometime we can have you on again. Yeah, and, it'd be my uh, pleasure. And I wish you the, the very best and um, safe travels yeah. back. Yep. Heading You're going back. home now. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we've been sharing with Rangi Marie Neda Glavish, and she is a Maori elder and leader, and it's been a pleasure to be your host today. Again, coming at you from the Oakland 6th National uh, Restorative Justice Conference from Margins to Center. On behalf of NACRJ and RJOY Oakland, thank you.